This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. You're listening to Dollars and Change on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Welcome to Dollars and Change on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM 132. I'm Cheryl Kuhlman. And I'm Sandy Hunt. And we're here every Thursday, 8 to 10 Eastern, to talk with you about how business and impact investing and capital can help to really make the world a a better place and address some uh, persistent uh, challenges and inequities. Yeah, I like to think we're a good chaser to like whatever news, uh, you know, (laughs) one has to read in the morning. (laughs) Sometimes (laughs) after I listen to my, you know, little podcast or whatever of, you know, here's the top of the news today. I'm like, I need to chase this with something optimistic. <laughs> a palate cleanser. I need a palate cleanser, yes. So consi- and a moose-bouche. Consider us, yes. Consider us your, you know, pear sorbet or whatever palate cleanser of your choice um, to sort of, you know, I think ha- have these moments of optimism when you're reading difficult stories about race to go, oh, my gosh, this, you know, NAACP informed ETF. It's um, it's really a, a truly wonderful part of our job that we get to share these stories of hope. And these aren't little changes. These are really big system level changes when we talk about how capital markets can shift for positive social good. So um, thanks for starting your day with us. Absolutely. And now we're going to turn to Kim Arata, who's the Global Senior Director, Corporate Responsibility for Molson Coors. And and a reminder at, uh, you know, around 930, we will have our open segment where you can call in and ask questions and uh, have a dialogue with us. So Kim, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. I was uh, loving the chaser. I'm thinking I'm your beer chaser. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the uh, parallel was not lost to me. What, what guess yeah. we're heading into here? But um, <laughs> uh, so we are excited to talk to you as the global director um, for senior corporate responsibility at Molson Coors. I'm also very interested in your background because you were a you're a criminal defense attorney. I prior. Am. So I guess you know, give us you know a two minute <laughs> yeah, sort of we, we career <laughs> arc here. How did you how did you end up here? I know usually somebody says, Ah, oh, what's the typical path to get into sustainability in a corporation? <laughs> right. Like you should be criminal defense lawyer first. Yeah. There's no one answer. That's <laughs> for sure. Exactly. You know what? That's exactly it. Um so I practiced criminal law in Milwaukee, Wisconsin for about thirteen years. And what was really great about that experience is you're part social worker, part lawyer. Mm -hmm. So you're really connected to the fabric of the community. You know, how do you help your clients get um, drug and alcohol treatment? How do you help their families become stable? How do you really support further education and development? So that connection to the community, surprisingly or not surprisingly, transferred really well then when I left and took a job at Miller at the time and um, started our community affairs or in the community affairs program. Um, And so it was really nice transition from looking again at how does a corporation connect to the needs of the community? How do you develop those educational needs, those responsibility needs, the, you know, the societal needs that a corporation can really contribute to? So let's unpack that a little it's bit. Less strange path than I thought. <laughs> yeah. that, that sounded almost natural. <laughs> um, so unpack the work that you're doing a little bit, um, because I think that, uh, and as we were talking to our previous guest, that there's often with corporations a a blend of hope that they're doing good things and skepticism about whether it's real or not. You know, so 
and, and I have to say beer, you know, people are like beer. How's what, what's this, you know, CSR around around beer. Um, sure. So talk to us about the the commitment and how you think about uh, what the corporation can do in the local and global communities. Sure. I think that, you know, such a great question and kind of goes back almost to the introduction that you were giving about all the pessimism that's out there, all the, you know, loss of hope and loss of trust in so many different, you know, institutions that people trusted for so many years. And I think as a business, we've got a really strong and important role to play, particularly in our communities. We are the often the local faces. We're the neighbors. We're the leaders. We're the people that you see at church. And we have an opportunity to really lead when so many other institutions are either failing or people see them as failing. And so businesses can step forward and really make a difference and um, fill some of those gaps. And, I, you know, you can see a lot of different research out there that – not only are society and communities expecting businesses to do it, but it's really in a necessity. Mm-hmm. So as a beer company, you know, we're a company that brings people together. People enjoy beer. It makes them right? happy. It makes them happy. It's a great occasion. And so oftentimes we can get more done. We can bring competitors together. We can bring strangers together and really have a good, deep and solid conversation about how we create positive impact and how we can create some real change. Well, and it's um, interesting. You, you mentioned that this um, this approach, an authentic approach towards corporate social impact, is a necessity. And we were uh, surprised, although I guess maybe it shouldn't have been, when we were talking to some graduating uh, undergrad seniors here from the Wharton School, and they were talking to us about their interview process. Mm-hmm. And what became clear is that they were hammering the companies about, well, what do you do? Where does the person sit? You know, mm-hmm. how do I get involved? What's the employee engagement? How do I know that you're, you are really committed to being a good force in the community? So, you know, I think for uh, not just uh, consumers, clearly, who think about things, but also for employees, this becomes really important. You know, I, we actually, it's interesting, we kind of assumed that for a while, but then we actually said, let's find out. So we interview all of our new employees who come and join us here in the U.S. at our Miller Corps operations, and we've been doing it, I, I would guess, about six years. And we ask them six quick questions. You know, were you aware of our sustainability efforts before you decided to work for us? Did it influence your decision? All the way through to, was it the reason why you came to work for oh, us? fascinating. It's, it's really fascinating. And in the beginning, the numbers were, you know, quite positive. We're like, wow. But as the time has gone along, we'll see now about a little over 42% of our new hires say they came to work for us because of what we do in the area of sustainability. Wow. Yeah. I'm startled. I mean, that is a, that's a very big number. Um, so, you know, with any major company of your scale, the possibilities for impact are pretty limitless. Um, and one of the challenges we often see in big CSR is just how do you select where you want to focus um, that, that time and energy? Um, part of it to make sure your employees are aware and that there's a, cl- you know, a clear mission and clear goals. Um, but also, how do you allocate your resources? You know, you guys could do water. You could do recycling. You could do drunk driving. You could, I mean, there's just so much. So you have the our beer print 2025 strategy, um, which I think is sort of the, the banner for your CSR mission. Is that right? That is right. So so tell us a little bit about those three main areas of focus and how you arrived there. How did you decide that those three were the best place for you guys to, to invest your time and energy? 
Great. You know, I think it's, I love how you asked the question. It's exactly that. I mean, the, the opportunities are limitless, but how can you create the greatest impact? So when Molson Coors, you know, a lot of people wonder, like, okay, what's Molson Coors? What's Miller Coors? So Molson Coors is the global company, and we have operations in the U.S., which is our U.S. business called Miller Coors. And then we have operations in Canada and in Europe and then international in India and, and other locations. Mm. Um, and so when Molson Coors in 2016 bought Miller Coors, the U.S. operations, we became a big company. And we had to look and say, okay, what's really important? Where are we really going to focus? So we did two things. We talked to our internal stakeholders, our board of directors, our leadership teams, our vice presidents of procurement and agriculture and brewing materials, and asked them, where are your strategies, where are you focused, and where do you think we have the greatest alignment in the area of sustainability? And then we looked at our stakeholder groups. So it was everything from media to politicians to business leaders to non-government organizations and government organizations and employees and customers and retailers. I mean, all of those key stakeholder groups. And we reached out to them via survey and asked them to also help us identify where do they think that Molson Coors can have the greatest impact and change. And from there, we were able to really determine, here's the areas we need to focus. No to saving the polar bears. Probably doesn't make the most amount of sense to Molson Coors, maybe to somebody else, but yes, to packaging, to alcohol responsibility, to water, to carbon emissions. So that helped us focus on that core area where our stakeholders and our company really needed to focus. Sounds like a very thoughtful approach. And yet those are still huge issues, right? You know, like water, um, you know, recycling. So you've got these three sort of buckets, responsibly refreshing, sustainable brewing, and collectively crafted. Um, How did you go from those sort of big definitions into the more specific things you'd measure? Um, And, and, you know, how do you – how would you look at those three and say – we're more successful this year than I hoped, or we're not as successful, or these are our goals for the coming year. Right. So, so exactly. So we took those big buckets. We knew alcohol responsibility, or what we call responsibly refreshing, is obviously one of the most important areas. Mm-hmm. Our internal groups, our external groups, they expect you to lead and, and be very you know, um, impactful in that area. So when we broke it down, we said, well, here's what we need to do. We need to be active in our communities about preventing drunk driving and underage drinking. We can be the voice. We can be the pocketbook. We can be the partner and really create some change. We need to work with global alcohol producers. We need to have responsible marketing practices. We need to provide information, be transparent. So nutritional information, alcohol serving facts and ingredients on our products. And then let's be innovative. What's that one way where we can create even more positive change? So we committed to low and no alcohol products in all of our markets that have um, brewing and selling operations. Was that a big change? It's a bigger change, you know, and part of it is we're responding to consumers. We have seen, um, in particular in Canada, most recently, when you look at the millennial generation, the legal drinking age millennials, more and more of them are making responsible choices and looking for responsible alternatives. So we introduced this new product called Coors Edge just in May of this year to really meet the consumer demands. They're saying, listen, I want to go out with my friends. I want to have a great time. I want to be able to socialize, but I want to be responsible, and I want to get home safely. So Coors Edge is a non-alcoholic product that we introduced into that country to help meet those needs. And is it just a non-alcoholic beer-tasting beverage? 
tastes good. That's that's the main <laughs> commitment. Is it just can't you know, check the box? It has to taste good. Right. We want our consumers to enjoy it. It needs to be refreshing, and it has to really you know meet their needs, um, just like anything else. So we're really excited about those type of launches, particularly in that low and no alcohol space. Got it. And let's let's pause on this one a little bit to talk about the responsibly refreshing before we move on to the other two. What's happening, sort of broadly around? Um, alcohol abuse, responsible use of alcohol, like what are the trends broadly in the market that you guys are working to, um, you know, enhance the good ones or combat the bad ones? Sure. And, you know, it's certainly we're in markets, everything from Central Europe to the U.K. and Ireland and Canada and, you know, all across the U.S. So the trends tend to be different mm. in each area. And that's why I think what I love about a beer company is we are local. You know, you've got a distributor or um, selling beer in a certain community. You have a brewery in a different community. You have a sales team in a different community. So we can respond to the local needs. But in the U.S., when you look at the trends, both good and bad, um, you know, drunk driving incidents are on the decline, and they have been for years. Great. But that's not good enough. Um, how do we get to the point where drunk driving is 100% preventable? Sure. So how do we make it easier for people to make good and informed decisions? What we've seen with consumers is if they plan ahead, so if you're going out for the night and you think to yourself, okay, you know what, I'm probably going to have you know, two beers or two glasses of wine or whatever you might have. Why don't I get an Uber ride home? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Or why don't I designate a driver? It's those planning ahead and making good decisions before you get to the location where you're going. Um, And so what we try to do is all across the U.S. through our sales and marketing programs is we provide Uber rides, discounted Uber rides, um, free rides on buses and trains and, you know, other public transportation on major holidays like New Year's Eve or St. Patrick's Day and really help people plan ahead and get home safely. This is Dollars and Change on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM 132. We're talking to Kim Arado, who's the Global Senior Director, Corporate Responsibility for Molson Coors. Yeah, and you have to imagine the ride-sharing economy has just dramatically played a role in drunk driving. Yeah, again, um, I think in the cities, you know, city and suburban areas where there's really easy access to that. Mm-hmm, exactly. Okay, so let's move on to that second sort of dimension, the sustain, sustain, sustainably brewing. Uh, I couldn't tell if it was sustainable. I couldn't tell if sustainability brewing or sustainably brewing, but it's sustainably brewing. So tell us what that means. Sure. So for us, there's really, that's kind of, if you thought about it, it's our environmental bucket where mm-hmm. we can really, you know, look at our imprint on our environment. So we focus on water. And in that water area, it's not just the water that we use to brew our beer, but it's the water sheds where our breweries are located. And it's also the water in our agricultural supply chain. Because actually, more than 90% of the water that we use, if you actually think about it from grain to glass, is in our agricultural supply chain with our barley farmers on our barley fields. And then if you, when you move away from water, it also includes carbon emissions and reducing our carbon emissions and then our commitment to zero waste to landfill. Um, so those, you know, it's a broad range, but water, carbon, zero waste to landfill. So I have a question, and maybe this is, pulls out a little bit from this. So you had, in previously we were talking about how you can be local uh, and fit the local community. When you implement policies about, you know, sustainable brewing and environmental areas, does it apply equally to all of your brands, or are there mm, there sort question. of local differences depending on government and processes, et cetera? 
Great. It's a great question. So when we talk to our consumers through our brands, we want to make sure that it's authentic. Mm -hmm. So, and let me give you an example of what that means. Um, our Coors Light brand, Bill Coors, who's actually turning 102 just in a couple of days. Oh, wow. Happy know, birthday, that, Bill. That, Secret to a long life. You <laughs> heard it here. <laughs> and a long and impactful life. So um, more than, I think it's almost 60 years ago, he actually pioneered the aluminum can. He, it, As the story goes, he would walk outside, he'd see his Coors name, on steel cans and you know and it'd be litter all over the place so he worked with his innovation team and his engineering team and they actually came up with a design for an aluminum can one that could obviously be recycled and um, you know and put back on the shelf and what he did what I love is that he didn't patent it he actually went and met with the CEO of Anheuser Bush at the time the CEO of Coca-Cola at the time and shared the designs and shared mm, the plans so, so the cool. entire beverage industry could use the aluminum can and then he gave a penny back for every consumer that turned the Coors can back into the brewery at the time. So, you know, started recycling, introduced an aluminum can. So for us, we believe we have permission through Coors Light to talk to our consumers about recycling, to talk to them about waste, to talk to, you know, talk to them about our efforts because we've got an authentic history, a longstanding commitment, and it makes sense for that brand to really engage in that area. Likewise, Coors Banquet is really associated with our farmers. Barley farmers, you know, they're key to all of our brands, but they're part and DNA of the DNA of Coors Banquet. So when we talk about sustainable agriculture or farming, it makes a lot more sense and really, you know, more authenticity to come from a Coors Banquet brand. But just an example, so, you know, we really want to be authentic, talk about our commitment, where we've been, you know, show um, you know, it's just not, you know, fluff or, or green marketing, but really a longstanding commitment. And then also talk about the future and where we want to go together with our consumers. That's great to hear. Now, I'm curious, when it comes to recycling, you know, a beer can to me seems like such a home run or even a beer bottle, like they're glass or aluminum. There's not a lot of sort of... Sandy has a lot of issues with recycling because we keep <laughs> learning we do it wrong. Exactly. But, you know, you hear about these products like a pizza box where... It's cardboard, then it's the grease, and it's the food or the, the baby food sort of yogurt pouches apparently are a nightmare with the layers of aluminum and whatever. But I'm thinking, like, these are quite recyclable products. So is that right? And sort of, um, you know, is are there made any major issues with the recycling of these products? Or are people doing the right thing, getting them into recycling bins, and these products are well recyclable? Yeah, so the good news and the bad news. So the aluminum can has, it's actually the most recycled product that you could possibly recycle. Mm -hmm. It's got more, I think the Aluminum Association says it's got about 68% recycled content in that can. If you recycle it, that aluminum can be back up in the shelf in 60 days. Making us Whoa, happy. That's fast. Great story. Problem is, not enough of us are recycling. Oh. Um, they haven't released this year's recycling rates. I think they might be coming out actually today or, you know, supposed to be the end of July. Um, but about 50% of used beverage containers are getting recycled. So a lot of us or a lot of companies are taught, you know, how do we engage consumers? How do we create that awareness? How do we make it easy? How do we provide recycling bins? How do we reward or incentivize? And then really start to make some difference. So um, we've got a ways to go. We certainly, you know, are behind our European counterparts where recycling rates are much higher. Um, and but really need to you know, hmm. focus on that because it is. It's just a just like you said. It's a, it's a slam dunk. Yeah, that's the no brainer um, for recycling. It's a no brainer. And but we've got to maybe make our brains work harder. <laughs> All right, cool. So let's go to the third one. We Cheryl and I could talk about recycling for quite a while. Um, we we are now burdened with having had a few sophisticated guests on who stress us out. Um, the third one is collective crafted. 
And um, this one's interesting because what we, we are seeing a trend where a lot of sort of smaller breweries are being, um, you know, acquired by bigger brands. They're being launched and so when acquired, you, yeah. yeah, exactly. When you hear this sort of crafting message, I'm wondering, you know, what that means. So tell us a little bit about that. Sure. You know, and again, it kind of goes back to that idea. People think about Molson Coors as a big business, but I can't, you know, I said it before, too. We're really so local and so connected to our communities. So for us, we thought that word crafted was such a great word Mm -hmm. to use to really talk about our investment in our communities. We're committing to investing $100 million by 2025 in the communities where the people that we know and touch really care. You know, where are they focused? We're also obviously focused on our employees because oftentimes we are the backbones of the communities. The, you know, just the amount of jobs that are created, mm-hmm. not only through our companies, but through the supply chain. And then have an ethical and sustainable supply chain. Because one of the great things about being bigger, we have a lot of suppliers mm-hmm. and we have an opportunity to really create good change, good positive change. How do we make sure that we are ethically and responsibly sourcing all of our products and materials? And to that, let's uh, dive in a little bit. When you're when you're making a decision about whether something is ethically and responsible uh, in your supply chain, what specifically are you looking at? Sure. So luckily for us, we work with a third-party organization because you can imagine it's a pretty daunting task. Absolutely. And what we've done is, you know, and we're at, it's a journey. We're 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 moving in that in a positive direction. So we started with eleven thousand suppliers, um, and what we look at first of all is how much we spend with those suppliers, what type of product they're actually producing, and the location of each one of their facilities. And then based on that, there we do an initial risk, risk assessment. And if they're flagged at being a high risk, then we actually go deeper and we have them fill out a really specific questionnaire and answer form about practices and and human rights and child labor and, um, you know, how they source and environment and, and, um, you know, the safety and, and, uh, you know, everything you can think about in that area. And if it's still flagged as a risk, then we come in and do an audit. And based on the, um, the terms of the audit, we work with them and, and help partner with them in creating, you know, remediating. And if they're not able to remediate, then we would consider and most likely would terminate. And I'm curious, and maybe this is what you're getting to there, sort of how how deep into the supply chain do you consider your responsibility? And this is a this is a tough question for any multinational corporation because, you know, the supply chains are so long, right? Often it's, you know, we get our bottles from these people, but they get their glass from these people and they get their glass pulp from these people. Um, You know, what's, what do you consider your scope of responsibility? So we've, you know, focused on our first tier and our second tier suppliers and, and think that's where we can, you know, have a sizable impact. The ones that actually, we've got some contracts and some influence and, and some mm-hmm. ability in that area. But you're right. It could it could go on and on and on. Yeah, we have a, a student. He's been on the show, Peter Wang Yemdal, who's won the President's Prize from the University of Pennsylvania and is off in India working on a venture around the Kabaddi Wallas, which are the individuals who are sort of the base of the pyramid, trash collectors and sorters that sell to trash middlemen. And, you know, when you think about recycling and glass and, you know, the, you know, how downstream it gets into these economic impacts, um, it's, it's fascinating. Now, when you, when you're working with your first and let's say second tier supplier, so you buy bottles from a company and they buy glass from this company, do you ask them about their suppliers? 
So that's a good question. Uh, you know, th- the FedEx is a third party that helps us do the audit and all the questions. Mm-hmm. And to tell you the truth, I'm assuming they d- wouldn't ask our second tier about their suppliers in granularity, but I would imagine there would be some broad sweeping questions. Mm-hmm. But I apologize. I just don't know offhand. No worries. It's, it's yeah. a really yeah. hard question for, like you said, you have 11,000 suppliers. So that yeah, number becomes what when you get to second tier? Right. 50,000 and, um, and then things get very micro um, in terms of you know, the little ecosystems that feed this. So it's a, it's a hard question, um, but I'm always curious to hear what folks are doing around it. So very, very interesting. All right. Well, I think that gave us a good good look at the, the sort of big three that you guys focus on. Um, and they all, and a congratulation um, on that because they, they all make sense. Yes. I mean, we, we, we love when the, the corporate social responsibility and the, the commitment to the community is really tied into the business line. It makes so much more sense than if it's just kind of random and selected mm-hmm. by you know, fiat almost. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, Cheryl had asked a, a great question earlier about the local mandates. You know, you, you you know, are consistently emphasizing that, you know, while this is a very big company, Kim, it, it feels like a smaller or a collection of smaller companies. You're really connected to those communities. That's awesome. And it's probably really makes your job a little difficult because how do you measure impact if in Des Moines, Iowa, drunk driving's the issue. So you're doing a lot with Uber and in, you know, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, it's being overserved at an Eagles game. You know, like you have different dimensions of impact that you're working on. How do you aggregate that to sort of measure your global impact? Yeah, that's a, a really great question. So from a global perspective, we took kind of an overarching goal. And so we said we want to prevent underage drinking and use access prevention in every country where we have brewing and selling operations. But then we leave it up to the individual markets to focus on what are the greatest needs. So, for instance, in the U.S., they've said, okay, we're going to focus on drunk driving prevention. We're going to look at putting in free rides programs like we talked about and the Uber programs Mm -hmm. like we talked about. We're going to look at preventing underage drinking. In particular, let's look at risky behavior on college campuses. So they have a a program called Great Place Grants where um, they give grants out to colleges and universities that are research-based to help change behavior on college campuses. And then they work with, um, you know, large stadiums and arenas like the University of Texas, Austin, um, or Ohio State, and making sure that there's responsible selling a beer and practices there to really eradicate any incidents of alcohol abuse that you would have on any of those stadiums and arenas, and have had tremendous success. So they decided, okay, those are the areas most important to the U.S., but in other areas, you know, as you start to look out, um, I'm trying to think of some examples, but, you know, in the U.K., they might have a little bit of a different focus and, you know, and focus on what's happening and what's relevant within that local community. Of course, I can't think of an entire example right now <laughs> that's different than the three that I just right. mentioned. No, but it's easy to imagine, like, yeah. a European culture around alcohol, right. you know, as an outlet yeah. looks quite different. So maybe there are different things when it comes to the drinking age or the college culture or whatever. So we, we can imagine a lot of those. Thank I think. you for helping me. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and we're talking to Kim Arata, who's the Global Senior Director of Corporate Responsibility for Molson Coors. This is a Dollars and Change on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Series XM 132. And and Sandy's giving me a thumbs up because we've got uh, we've changed our station number, and so we're always trying to remember it. So Kim, we've still got um, a few more minutes to discuss, um, but we are nearing the end of the segment. So, 
what's exciting you about what's coming next for Molson? What are you learning and what do you what do you hope to change and make happen? Sure. I mean, if I had to pick two areas that I really am the most excited about, the first is within our agricultural supply chain, which I talked about just briefly. But we have this tremendous advantage where we know our barley farmers. We buy directly from about 860 growers here in the U.S. We also have a similar group in the U.K. called the Molson Coors Barley Group, which is about 150 growers. So we can create change. And what we've done with our barley growers is put in a data management portal here in the U.S. We track water. We track energy, kilo, you know, for instance, kilowatt per hour on pivots, distance to elevators, um, nitrogen, phosphorus, um, soil health. And together, we have the benchmarks in place so we can um, share that information across our growers group and then create some change. We also built in an incentive program where we're paying 20 cents more per bushel weight for our growers that are committed to sustainable agriculture and the different processes that we have in place. So, you know, when I think about the impact we can have, just in the, you know, we made a commitment, for instance, to reduce the amount of water we use by 10%. That's 7 billion gallons of water. That's as much as we use in all of our brewing operations across the world. Well, that's pretty incredible. Large scale, large change. And then the the last within our carbon emissions, Um, there's only been about 430 companies worldwide who have made a commitment to set science-based targets. In other words, you know, what do we need to do to keep global temperatures, the increase, below 2 degrees Celsius? And so we made that commitment, and we've set an aggressive carbon emission reductions, 50% absolute within our operations, and 20% across our value chain. If we actually meet that target, which we better darn do, or we plan on doing, we'll be able to save 1.5 million tons of CO2. So we're excited about again the impact and the and the and the positive change we can create in our communities through just those two examples. And what I like about the examples you gave there, it's certainly at least with the the barley farmers, is. Um, Part of your large size and the fact that you work with so many different people means that you can really be a source of knowledge transfer between these different groups. Mm-hmm. You can collect the data, you can analyze it, you can share it, and that way the the impact of what you're doing and the possibility for change really is is multiplied. Yeah, and we didn't get too technical in terms of the you know actual recycling methodologies and the car, you know all the things you're doing, but you know as a huge company, you also can help de-risk that for smaller companies, right? Like a small brewery may not have the um, capital to test a few, uh, you know, new tools or or to buy four different types of machines to check their, you know, emissions. But you might be able to go, we did, we had the capital to to try out new technologies. We tried it and this is what's working best. So a real, a real opportunity to you know, raise all ships. Yeah. Absolutely. Thanks. Thank you. This has been a great segment and, and, and really informative in a variety of ways. I, I love to hear what you're doing. Uh, this has been Kim Rado, the Global Senior Director, Corporate Responsibility for Molson Coors. Uh, please tell Mr. Coors that uh, in a couple of days we wish him a happy birthday. Yes. <laughs> Will do. Will do. <laughs> For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play. 